As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, episode 21. No, wait a minute. That's not right. I, I even changed the title here so I could read it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Spotcast, season four, episode 21. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And we have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All righty. So let's start off with some fact check. Um, at uh, I actually remember, I remember to put down the, the time here, but at 2.30 in the America song on the West Side Story film, uh, or in, in the film, at two, and a th- 2 minutes 30 seconds in, the boys in the chorus do sing La 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 America. Who knew? Ha! Ha! <laughs> I feel vindicated. Well, you were vindicated last week when I read the, read the title, but anyway. Um, and uh, I mentioned this. I mentioned the Flash and how I get confused by the two of them, but I still don't even. I, I had to look up the names of these guys. That's how confused I get. So Grant Gustin plays Barry Allen on TV in the 2014 series, and Ezra Miller plays the Flash in the DC verse, starting in 2016. So those are the boys who are the Flash. And and, and, and uh, there was a crossover where Ezra did show up on the Flash TV show for our scene. What? Yep. As like a multiverse flash? Yep. Oh, cool. Yep. Cool. Thereby implying that they are all in the same multiverse. Interesting. Well, yeah, same multiverse. That's, yeah. yeah. That's a, kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Alrighty, and June Lockhart plays Maureen Robinson in the Lost in Space franchise, and uh, surprisingly, she's the voice of the computer Alpha Control in Netflix Lost in Space series it's on now. And she was also the principal in the 1998 version, 1998 movie. She played the high school principal. And cool. um, and for those of you who may are really really old, she was also Lassie's mom in the original Lassie TV show and movies. So Timmy, you know Timmy, 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 Lassie's falling down the hole. Isn't that the moment that you see no, Timmy, Timmy falls down? Timmy, 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 Timmy's in the well. Like, Come on, Lassie, tell me what. Yeah, she would have been the one saying, Lassie, what what's going on? You know, yeah, yeah she was the mom. Yeah. There you go. So that's the fact check. So we'll move on to the headlines. And Jonathan's got a whole bunch of things for us. Oh, oh, oh I got some good stuff for us today. So uh, this one I just saw this evening, and it was interesting. I did not know that this was happening, but we got news just th- this evening. There is going to be a new Star Trek video game. Star Trek Resurgence is uh, has been announced. Mm-hmm. It's on StarTrek.com as of this evening. New game coming for Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One. 
One, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4 gaming consoles, and exclusively on the Epic Game Store for PCs. Star Trek Resurgence. I'm going to read this because I don't have it memorized. Star Trek Resurgence is an interactive narrative video game that tells an original story set in the era shortly after the events of Star Trek The Next Generation. Stationed aboard the USS Resolute, players will assume the role of two principal characters, First Officer Jara Rydek and Engineering Crew Person Carter Diaz as they unravel a sinister mystery involving two alien civilizations on the brink of war. Throughout the game, players will immerse themselves in the Star Trek universe interacting with new and returning characters through a variety of dialogue and action games Gameplay to determine the course of the story. Cool. Cool. Is that spelt the same as, as the cap the president relic or whatever her name is? Uh no. Relic. No. Relic, right? That's 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 relic. Yeah, this yeah. is Rydek. Mm. But uh yeah, I mean I gotta be honest, I have not played, I think, any Star Trek game that I really liked. Now, I, I will admit that is a very limited number, and I'm talking about starting back with, like, the Sega Genesis. So you never played the Star Trek game on, on the Mac? I with don't Captain th- Kirk and Spock and think the, so. the flower that spits in his face and stuff? Oh, God, yes. I do, I do remember that. Um, yeah. yeah, that was the delete thing, wasn't it? Uh, Mac Play, I think. Is it Mac Play? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I did, did play that. There was a few over the years. I don't really feel like... They all tried to get a little too either... Uh, just game styles I'm not wild about. They either do like sort of RPG kind of things or they do like um, space strategy stuff, which again is not really my cup of tea. But apparently this is the... Um, the people who worked on this worked on some of the Telltale games, so The Walking Dead, um, The Wolf Among Us, Batman, the Telltale series, and stuff like that, which are really cool. They're really well done, sort of narrative um, adventure, sort of you know choose your path kind of kind of stories. So this could be interesting. Yeah, definitely. I like a good Star Trek game. Good Star Trek game is yeah. hard to find. There was there, there actually was you know back in the early 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 Mac days there was you know back when they were little black and white Macs right there was an early network game that had a Star Trek theme to it. I think you play, like you you get you get all your little Mac plus or your, your Mac pluses together and you'd string them all together with like phone phone lines <laughs> and then you could play like a online game. It was but it was like all I think it was text based right. But that was yeah early. yeah really kind Ooh. of fun thing I, I i was a fan of the old text-based games back in a long time ago and land far far away yeah wasn't final fantasy like that originally um i don't know i only ever played final fantasy for starting with the nintendo and yes yeah. but weren't they kind of like um, there were some like dungeons and dragons where you're like you know you roll the dice and you uh, get to do this very much like you put in you know you put in your response and then it dictates where you're going next and yeah, yeah. i played some of those back when i was in like junior high and stuff like that mm-hmm Cool. So, moving on to the MCU, a place we like to hang out from time to time. We'll talk about Hawkeye later in this episode, episode four of Hawkeye. And uh, so, we got a couple pieces of MCU news this week. One, we got confirmation from the uh, the uh, Uber Fuhrer of the MCU, Kevin Feige, that Charlie Cox will return as daredevil now this seems like another obvious one it's like you know it's it's, it's like them admitting that you know andrew garfield and toby Maguire are going to be in the new spider-man movie like duh, duh, duh. but it is nice to be official to have him say i can't say when or where but he is coming back because i think uh again tim i don't think you've watched the daredevil series um, i haven't no the netflix thing no i was gonna yeah how many have you watched it I've seen some of of Daredevil. I mostly got into Jessica Jones and mm. Luke Cage. Yep, and the Defenders. Yep. 
I, I really enjoyed Daredevil was probably I, I I loved Jessica Jones season one. Season two wasn't quite as much for me, but I I really that that there's a couple scenes, just the way it's filmed, the way that it sort of captures that street level vigilante kind of stuff, and just the acting caliber of the Daredevil series was fantastic. Charlie Cox was great. But I'm hoping that this is just the first part of more too, because Charlie Cox coming back is one thing, and and maybe we'll talk about this a little more with the Hawkeye uh discussion later on, but I'm really hoping that they bring back Vincent D'Onofrio as the kingpin of crime, the the mob mob boss of all mob bosses. New York City because he was I mean he was just incredibly captivating in in that series and I hope that he has a place in the uh the reforming MCU cuz I think he would be a great bad guy to add to the to the MCU. The other bit cool. of news that we have is that Shang-Chi starring Mississauga's own Simu Liu is getting a sequel. Now, I I don't want to say this was a no-brainer, but it was kind of a no-brainer. The movie did well, all things being equal, you know, accounting for COVID and all circumstances being what it, what they are. But they announced this week that uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, who is the um, director and co-creator of the, uh, I think he was the co-writer of it as well, is um, has signed an overall deal to return and do more stuff for Marvel Studios. He is going to work on the sequel as well as a new Disney Plus series subject to be determined so yeah kind of a weird sort of backhanded way to come at it but pretty cool that we now know we are going to get a a little bit more from shang chi i think they left it open at the end of it you could have interpreted as there's going to be more or you could have interpreted as you'll see him again and it's nice to know it's going to be his own adventure yeah instead of being like an avengers one or him showing up in somebody else's movie yeah i mean they could do that, and, and I'd be surprised if he doesn't show up in in the end as uh, as an Avenger, and you know, and to go off to the next thing. But yeah, I think this is great news that we're going to get uh, some more. I thought that movie was really charming and and fun. Next up, I have some sad news to share. Um, we got news this week that uh, comic book icon, uh, and I do not use that term lightly in this case, George Perez uh, announced that he is uh, he's facing a terminal cancer diagnosis. He has pancreatic cancer, and he's been given 6 to 12 months to live. Um, this hit the community pretty hard this week. Uh, a lot of us were, you know, aware, you know, George had to retire as an artist a few years back because of recurring um, problems with his arms. Uh, obviously, he's been an artist his whole life. His his, his uh, repetitive stress on his arms has been pretty uh, dramatic. And, and just the amazing detail with which he worked must have just been painstaking to, to do. So, obviously, that kind of thing takes a toll. But... Um, but to find out this week that, uh, yeah, he's got stage three pancreatic cancer. He's uh, declined to undergo treatment. He said, you know, he weighed all the options. And in the end, he just wants to spend. He said, uh, I've opted just to let nature take its course. And I will enjoy whatever time I have left as fully as possible with my family, friends and fans. Uh, he's 67. So this is uh, obviously far, 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 far too soon for him to go. Uh, he is just a freaking legend um you know 
he drew the original Infinity Gauntlet miniseries on which mm. the MCU is founded. He drew Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is the seminal crossover story of, of DC Comics uh, in, in the 80s. Uh, he huge long runs on Avengers, uh, uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, in, I mean, there's just pretty much not a character that he has drawn. His work on, on the New Teen Titans is, is amongst the greatest ever put, put to paper. Uh, you know, he is by any account as important to the to the um, you know universe of comic books, to the influence of comic books over time, as as, as anyone in the 20th century. And uh, and yeah, this is is just absolutely heartbreaking news. Uh, as I say, I saw a lot of people in in the comics community that I'm pretty connected with sharing their reminiscences about you know meeting him. I uh, have had a chance to to meet him and to interview him in the past. He uh, I have a sketch that he drew for me in my sketchbook that is one of my most treasured possessions. Um, you know, I just cannot say enough about what a incredible talent, but also an incredible person George is just the nicest, most generous with his time, kind person, especially for someone of his stature, uh, you know, in the community. Uh, it's just, it's, it's just an unbelievably sad moment to, to, to know that he's facing this and that his family's facing this. But, um, but I guess all we can do is, is, uh, is take the time we have left to, to share with him how much he means to us and, uh, how much his work means to us. And, um, and to give him, you know, all the do these dues that he deserves before he goes. Sad mm, news. So, oh, I made for some happier news. Yeah, uh, and I put these these next two items purposely next to each other to juxtapose very strangely different strategies. So I'm going to start off with this one with uh, Peacock, which is the streaming service owned by NBC Universal. Apparently, it will start streaming many, but not all, NBC Universal movies as soon as 45 days after theatrical release. Um, they cover a few that will be included, like Halloween Ends, Downton Abbey, uh, The 355. It won't include uh, Jurassic World Dominion and probably some other um, bigger ones like this uh, this Nolan film, uh, Oppenheimer. Mm. So kind of an increasingly changing world as we've seen of like, you know, as things start coming out of the pandemic, um, what happens to streaming services and the way that they deal with uh, movies and their relationship with theaters. It looks like around 45 days instead of the, what was it, 90 days before um, exclusivity for theaters. So it seems like this has cut that uh, that window in half. So you'll expect to see these things showing up much, much sooner from streaming services. Anything it's, on this one? Yeah, it's still an interesting choice that... Um that they're talking about 45 days, especially in places where movie going is still, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's a personal choice as to their, their appetite for risk. Right. Mm -hmm. It is interesting that that's the model that it seems everyone's willing to move to, even though we are not anywhere near the end of the global pandemic. We are still, we could, we could be near the end. We don't know, but we might just be at the beginning or we might be in the middle and, you know, I think it's I think it's still a strange choice given all of the circumstances in the world that we're still talking about, you know, 45 days when your only choice during that window is to go see it in the theater and that, you know, the internet is the internet. So wait, I was just I just tweeted out earlier that I got a notice from uh one of the hotels where I have points that they were going to remove my points if I don't plan a trip by December 31st, which I just thought was ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
had they not noticed that there's like a worldwide panic pandemic and i mean i couldn't even go to the hotel if i even if i wanted to right so she's yeah. gonna get more aggressive it's like what have you got to lose chicken yeah <laughs> really like it's but double dog dare you to come to our hotel yeah. come come <laughs> quarantine in our hotel you know yeah oh, you're like sure. i'm talking to you say it to my face <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well i don't know it's interesting i mean like i don't know so I mean, if they're if they're going to release these to the like so so what was the point that 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 they're going to release them like forty five days after after they're in the theater, right? Yeah. So the the exclusivity window for movie theaters will continue to shrink. It was apparently ninety days before at a minimum, and now it'll be forty five days at a minimum. Although it looks like some of NBC Universal's um, more premium movies are not going to follow this quick forty five days. So dress. Yeah, and that's and... that's the same number that Disney Plus has been going with, right? I think that that is where the model has been set, and it seems to be working for them. They feel like they can squeeze, you know, a few hundred million. Yeah, it it sounds it sounds like they think they can still squeeze a few hundred million out of movie going patrons before they put it onto their streaming platforms, and so they're gonna do that in spite of the fact that many other of their patrons won't be able to see it, but to wait till there comes on their platforms. Yeah, I, I think this probably also makes it easier for them to figure out what they're doing with the streaming windows of like, okay, so this particular series is delayed. Well, that's not too bad because we can just throw in, you know, this movie right at the 45 days. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So people will subscribe during then and then the following month we'll be able to catch up with this series. Like I can see them trying to plot out, you know, years in advance of like what exactly is going to be the thing that draws people to our service for that uh, sweet, sweet monthly subscription price yeah well we joked about that too Jaime you know you you obviously had uh, been the model that that these services don't want which is you pick it up you watch it for as long as whatever's on is on and then you drop it and you pick it back up again when you need to but a couple of these different services have done a good job of keeping you on the hook for a while now right yeah, I almost feel like personal responsibility that in the first <laughs> season of Disco, as soon as it ended, I canceled CBS All Access. And then they had a little survey of like, oh, why did you cancel? I said, because Star Trek ended. <laughs> and then, <laughs> since then, they're like, okay, well, what if we do short treks, one a month for 15 minutes, and we stretch them out? And then we finally figured out so how to would get you pay the whole $5 a month? So what I'm hearing is is that this current spigot uh, on full of Star Trek that we've been getting this last little while, where we have like overlapping shows, is is all traceable back to Jaime Lopez Jr. So you know you, you were like I don't I, I'm canceling because of Star Trek, and somebody in an office somewhere was like Oh you're gonna get Star Trek Oh just gonna keep <laughs> keep feeding it to you Yeah yeah we're gonna make yeah. all the Star Treks Jaime you're gonna be want to be back in. Keep well, here, let's back up. What, is, what does CBS All Access cost you? Like, what does it, it cost? Is, well, believe, it's Paramount Plus now, right? Correct. Yeah, they kept okay. the pricing the same, I think. I believe it's $5.99 a month for the mm. ads tier, and I want to say $9.99 a month for the ad-free tier. So you're on the $5.99 a month, right? Correct. And then, so, like, like yeah, I mean, but they, and they bill you monthly, or they bill you, they expect you to pay for the year? Uh, this is monthly. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of wonder, like... 
If they, what would you pay if they said they would charge you per episode? Like, would you pay $1.99 per episode? Well, let's see, at $6, and depending on which month it is, you know, you would get four episodes. Well, let's just, let's just take Discovery. Like, you know, there's four there's four episodes of Discovery a month, let's say. Sometimes there's five, right? So would it's you, like $1.49 would you... and 75 yeah. per episode. And let them worry about the, the credit card chargebacks and all that kind of stuff per transaction. and Because... <laughs> Because each transaction costs some money, right? Mm-hmm. You know, theoretically. I mean, in in, in, in this digital age, it doesn't really cost. Like, it's not like they're they're mailing letters and going to banks and putting checks and like somebody has to physically go deposit a check. So like all that kind of costly overheads taken away from them, right? So I, I just wonder, like, you know, if if their if their calculus was changed so that you paid per episode, they would still get their their blood money, right? <laughs> but they wouldn't have you joining up and dropping off and whatever, right? And, and have they ever given you a hard time about reinstating your account or? No, that's one of the things that I think regardless of whether cutting the cord is a savings or not, and there's definitely tons of argument all over around that, I think it's really difficult to compare the user experience where I can jump in and out at any time that I want. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they tend to, pro, uh, services tend to prorate um, what you've got and, and they tend to be pretty nice about like just leaving you with service until your next billing would have would have occurred right yeah instead yeah, of cutting you off sense. immediately like like some yeah. providers do um and i can do it in the middle of the night uh, if you wanted to you could take your device into the toilet with you and subscribe <laughs> and unsubscribe and you, you don't have to be on the phone with like a cable yeah. provider mm, right mm-hmm. who's trying to like get you to you know sign up for the triple play and, and add voice over ip to your account it's like no dude, <laughs> i just want i just want to leave well what if i gave you hbo for like a dollar a month no i just want to leave right yeah it's very different it's hard to put a price on that so jaime did you say it was 5.99 i believe it's 5.99 a month yeah so that's what i'm seeing for canada as well it's 5.99 canadian a month Ooh, that's like that in that's a savings right, right there like i was gonna say I, I think we're kind of like screwing you guys over because 30 cents on the dollar is what the exchange rate is about right now so uh it's so 25 discount if you move to vancouver so jaime. we're saving a dollar 80 on you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit. In my pick for uh, stick ar- stick around, kids, because when we get around to the watch list, I'm going to talk about a show that you can only watch on Paramount Plus, and we'll have a little discussion there about whether or not it's time for Canadians to consider Paramount Plus. Ooh. How's that for a teaser? Yeah, and and you know, if this helps sweeten the deal, uh, Paramount Plus has added live streaming channels uh, to uh, Paramount Plus. It's that won't be in Canada. It's weird. Apparently, it's <laughs> you know inspired by and informed by Pluto TV, which we had talked about before as being the the way to get your your Star Trek Discovery if you're outside of North America. Um, I did take a quick look at this. There are in fact channels that are um, based on genre. It's almost like watching like a comedy channel or watching a drama channel. There is a Star Trek channel, and I was confused about this because on the one hand, I'm like, all right, I could see that there's people who are like, you know, I don't want to choose a specific episode out of the multi-decades library i just want it on in the background because it you know it warms my life and i just want to veg for a while and also at the same time i'm thinking paramount plus has gone all the way around in a circle to reinvent broadcast television on the streaming <laughs> service right i think i tuned in today and i said oh what are they showing like measure of a man hmm 
should I should I watch the last ten minutes of this episode, or should I just go search for <laughs> Star Trek TNG, you know, episode whatever it is, season two of Measure of a Man? Yeah, um, it's a good episode watch it from the beginning and pause yeah. it and play. I'm like, yeah, but it's kind of weird to be like, oh, it's like as if I was watching on over the air TV, and you're just sort of yeah. at the mercy of, oh, if only I hadn't gone to the toilet, I missed the best scene, you know? <laughs> well, not to mention the fact yeah. that it's like, yeah, it's it's sort of you're right, it's like a time warp. You're like, oh, remember when you used to come in at the end of things and be like, oh, I guess I'll watch the end of it. And I missed the beginning. And yeah, I, I don't want to go back to that world. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've got a little more sad news for our headlines here. Uh, and uh, we can discuss whether or not this is deeply sad news. But it was announced uh, today that the Cowboy Bebop live action show has been canceled by Netflix after just one season. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's only been out for a month. Apparently, uh, it was not what they were expecting as far as uh, the response. It has a pretty low number on. Rotten Tomatoes. It's 46% critics, 56% audience. And um, yeah, so it wasn't enough for them to justify coming back and doing more. So Cowboy Bebop, for all its hype and, you know, uh, all the the attention that it was getting, it didn't even even make it past that first season. Well, I do know that, that, I mean, I hadn't watched any of it and I've not seen the original series, but apparently people were saying that it was not holding up uh, any kind of comparison to the, uh, to the original series, the original anime, right? So Jaime, did you have a chance to watch it yet? I only saw the first episode. Uh, so the, it's weird because the, the anime has something like 26, um, what are they probably 20 ish minute episodes. And so you would think, oh, well, out of 10 episodes, they just do about a, a 10 hour long live action episodes they should be able to get roughly three animated episodes worth of content in there but instead they mostly went the opposite direction said let's just take the first episode from the anime and stretch it out to an hour Mm. it's not totally fair because they do introduce Faye valentine a little early so they kind of blended but it feels like 1.25 episodes at most when it really should have been about three episodes and i was a little surprised at first to think wait what do you mean after one season it should only be one season it can't possibly be many and i was like oh no wait wait a minute yeah i guess if you take each one we stretch it out it could have been hypothetically a, a three season series well and i guess it depends on what they what, what they intended to do in theory they could have said you know we're going to use this as a jumping off point and then do our own our own interpretation of sort of the bebop verse and told entirely unique stories it's a question of whether they were doing an adaptation or whether they were doing you know freestyle jazz right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. So I, I guess they could have gone other places with it, but in the end, they're going nowhere with it. All right, my story up here is um, the Rolling Stones has published the top 20 shows of 2021. And um, just uh, I wanted to point out that Loki is in position 18. Mm-hmm. Pretty good there. And then we have next up, I think, WandaVision is Squid Game, which I don't think, I think only Jaime has seen Squid Game, right? Is in 15th place. And uh, number 10 is WandaVision, oh, sorry, 13 is Mystic Quest, which we've talked about many times on this show mm-hmm. and then number 10 is wandavision and number one position is for all mankind which i'm still a little upset about <laughs> i mean it's uh, sorry I, I looked at this list and was like uh, ted lasso is not on this list 
No, Ted Lasso is not on this list. I, I, Are you I surprised que- by that? I question. I question. I thought the second season was quite enjoyable. I could see why people yeah. didn't didn't find it quite as gratifying as season one because it it does it builds more and doesn't finish more. But I thought it was a pretty mm-hmm. strong season. I know people got all bent out of shape about that Coach Beard episode, which I thought was fantastic. But uh, <laughs> the pants, yeah, that was such a great episode. And like a beautiful pants, little... he wears the pants for the rest of the series. Right? Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, I like the twist ending too. I thought that was really interesting. Like, like, yeah. like who who saw that coming? And then, like, because I, 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 yeah, I, I didn't get that. Quietly raises his hand in corner. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry? You said, who saw that coming? I said, sits in the corner, uh-huh. quietly raising his hand. <laughs> you saw, well, yeah, I mean, because they, they, they sort of built it up in the last, like, episode or two, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's what I mean. But, like, but you know, like, like I don't know. Do you, do you think Ted wasn't completely supportive and whatever, and it was all about him? Uh, no, I, I don't agree with Nate's perspective on that. I, I think, I think... I could see why Nate feels hurt. I could see how he could have his feelings about it, but I, I don't think, as as we are the objective viewers, I, I don't think that was the circumstance. I think that was really all in Nate's head. Yeah, I think so. Too. And I think he was, you know, again, I think he equates Ted to his dad and his dad's disapproval yeah, yeah, to Ted's disapproval, thinking. and it's really quite Shakespearean, all all things being equal. Well, that's what I mean. I thought Ted was giving him the benefit of the doubt in, in the ch- in the times he did, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. and I think more than anything, we're, I think we're spoiling it for people who haven't seen the ending. But, yeah, you know. I, I think really it was about. Um, yeah, it was it was really about you know Nate, all the stuff that Nate had going on, and you know how mm-hmm. Ted sort of thought like, oh, after you know building him up this last season, he's good now, and yeah, maybe he didn't pay as much attention as he could have or or should have, but then again, Nate just sort of sat there quietly stewing and eventually stabbing him in the back. So anyway, yeah, it's true, and it's stabbing the owner in the back too. Yep, we'll find out season three. Yep. How many have you seen? Have you seen all of Ted Lasso? No, I haven't seen season oh, two. Dude, uh, and so I was looking sorry. at his list. Be... I was uh, looking to see. I've, I've seen some of the items. On the, I mean, I've seen Loki and Mythic yeah. Quest and Squid Game. All right. So when we said mentioned. spoilers earlier, we what we meant was we just ruined season two for Jaime. So sorry no, about we that, had, dude. We didn't say anything. We haven't said anything. But you I, know, we may have used the first step. Now, in now the back, he'll have so to watch the entire ideal. season to know what we're talking about, right? Because. <laughs> We didn't say anything. Hack, anything. Hack starring Gene Smart is supposed to be really good. It's one of the ones that's on my sort of list to, to catch up on. Yeah, I really want to see Reservation Dogs. Uh, which I, is... I watched a couple of episodes of Reservation Dogs. It's pretty good. That's on Apple TV as that's well. The, uh, no, it's not. Here in Canada, it's on Disney+. Plus. Oh, Disney+. Plus. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's on I Disney+. Did, Plus. Here. It's, a, it's a Hulu show, FX on Hulu in the States, but here, um, yeah, here it's on Disney+. Plus. There are just too, there's too much TV now. All of a there sudden. is it's entirely streaming, too right? much TV, yes, there mm. is. Like, I'm, I'm way behind on Netflix and yeah. blah, 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 yeah. Now that I have Hulu, I'm trying to catch up on some of their shows. I've been watching number 19 here, Pen15. Mm, I heard that's really the, funny. Oh. The two middle school uh, girls. Mm. Where's that on in Canada? Crave? Ooh, I don't even know. Yeah. Pen15, it's spelt differently. It's it's supposed to read differently, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, which brings me cuz it reminded me of, you know, go 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 ask your 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 pappy or your grandpappy whoever has a old school calculator before we just had an app on yeah. our phones and go oh, type in 5,318,008 and, and then rotate that wonderful LCD display. Wait, so what it's number? Down. Five thousand. Yeah. Sorry. Five million three hundred eighteen thousand and eight. That is five three one eight zero zero eight. 
and then rotate that calculator <laughs> so it is upside down. I feel like I'm in grade four again. It, exactly. This no, I, it doesn't doesn't work for me. Uh, well, because you, you need to have the old school calculator that turns. Yeah, five, you need the old it's font, the, right? The five, eights, three, the, yeah, the eights need to be basically like stacked on each other so that they look like bees when they're. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. I, we never we never used to put the I in that word when we did that, Jaime, back in back in the day. <laughs> I think I think you in Canada were probably just a little bit more formal than the <laughs> yeah the much looser, less formal. Well, we did we, we only needed two vowels to make you know to make the joke, right? So. <laughs> There's a U in there somewhere, I made for no explicable reason. Yeah. We use a yeah, U in exactly. there somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, apparently, Pen15 is airing on CBC Gem here in Canada. I looked it up. Oh, okay. So I can watch it for free. There cool. you go. It's all yours. Yeah. Just like War of the World. Yeah. Interesting list. I think uh, I was thinking about this just the other day that perhaps it's time for for the three of us to uh, the Spockies dust off the Spockies in the next few weeks. Yeah, and we missed uh, the Spockies last year because of the hiatus, right? Yep. So maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll we'll blow the dust off the Spockies. I'll do a little digging and uh, make us a list that we can we can just Ooh. consider. We can vote. Maybe get some of the fans of the show to throw. Oh, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking. Mm-hmm. What do you think, uh, faithful listeners? Do you want the return of the Spockies? Yeah, all all fifty of you. What hey, do you think? Come on, all fifty of you. We want to hear from you. <laughs> want to hear from thirty percent of you? That's which is right. the normal response rate. Yeah. All right, Jaime, hit us with your, hit us with your best shot. Well, what we've got here is uh, get your popcorn ready, get boosted up, and everything for April eighth, two thousand twenty-two, when Sonic the Hedgehog two drops in trailer <laughs> in uh, in theaters. Did you watch the first one? I did. I did. I think I saw it on Amazon or something, but it was uh, streaming for free. And that's and with Jim Carrey, right? It yeah, is with Jim Robotic, Carrey. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, James Marsden. Um, it's uh, it's you know surprisingly good. I'm not going to say it was uh, you know like a work of art, but I was like, oh, this this actually worked pretty well. Hmm. You know, Does James Marsden played Two Tails or Tails or whatever. No, he played the um, hapless human sidekick number one. Yes, mm-hmm. I can't rem- remember the character's name. Which <laughs> you come here to see Sonic, you don't come here to see the people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one can you do on from that one with um, the the fox character Tails and the echidna character of Knuckles joining mm-hmm. the fray. Mm-hmm. Looks like it takes place in Seattle too. And Knuckles is Knuckles really uh, Idris Elba or I something like that. Recall us talking about that casting. Yeah. I gotta listen to the voice in the trailer again. Mm, cool. Well, you know, sounds like unofficial. Not, him. The not unofficial the sexiest, sexiest man. man in the world. Not the not the sexiest man in the world. Yeah. Not to be confused with Paul Rudd. Yeah. Or Ryan Goslin or or any of the dozens and dozens Ryan and dozens of men who Reynolds are sexier than or, Paul, than yeah, uh, Paul or, Rudd or um, Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Not that not that we notice no. or not that there's anything wrong with. Not that, that we're cast in shade, Paul. We love you. We genuinely <laughs> think you're great. You're just not the sexiest man in the world. Nope. Well, like, I don't know. I think there's a there's a Ghostbuster out there that might disagree with us. Yeah, or whatever. Or dog. What do you call the dog? The devil dog. Yeah, that's what right. Are they called Gorgon. No, what do they call? No, them? no. They uh, well, the demi Gorgons in in uh, Stranger Things and these ones. I think they're uh, like hellhounds or something. I don't know. Hellhounds, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Who's doing the Who's doing the recap? Climate? That would be me. You're I am doing here. Okay. All right. Well, we're this is the part of the show where we talk about Star Trek something. Of course, we're talking about Star Trek Discovery season four, episode four. All is possible. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Well, the big twist ending. Wait for it. Wait for it. Stick around, kids. We're going to get to uh, the whole you'll episode here. Obviously, you'll never see this one coming. Spoilers if you haven't seen this. We're going to talk all about this episode. So here we go. Yeah. So we start off. I was with expecting a, a tar, lit, tar pit monster based on what I 
expected to happen, but didn't. really, uh, no, they, they kept that in uh, lower decks this year. The episode starts with a, uh, a little recap, captain's logs. We do a little recap of where everybody's at, you know, books in a bad place. Did you get the start date, by the way? 8,000 something. Oh, I know. I didn't catch it. I didn't write down the number. Yeah, it's like eight, six something thousand. Yeah, yeah. a long so, time ago, long time future. So it sounds like uh, you know we get a little little recap from Burnham, who's doing her captain's log, and she is sort of recapping where sort of everybody is. You know, uh, you know, books upset because his family's gone, his planet's gone. Tilly's in a ba- in a bad place. Uh, we see that Stamets is obsessing over what's going on, and she mentions that they are currently still in orbit around Navarre, the f- planet formerly known as Vulcan. Uh, where they are working with the Science Institute trying to figure out the big space mystery that is changing directions and and wiping out planets like books. Uh, we get a little bit of a recap where we, uh, we we left off last episode. We know that the Federation and the Navarre are working on bringing the Navarre back into the Federation. And we find out that the duo of Saru and Burnham are being requested in their formal dress uh, uniforms to go down and uh, sit there uh, silently and look official because Admiral Vance cannot attend as the uh, Starfleet delegate because he has a Melindian stomach worm which apparently needs to uh, gestate and uh, birth itself before it can be removed from his stomach. So... We check in with Tilly. Tilly is uh, still lost. She's talking about, you know, uh, you know, all the things that we saw in the last episode. She sort of tries to work outside her comfort zone. She goes on the away mission with the uh, to to fight the um, Coat Milat uh, warrior uh, nun who had lost her uh, direction and was going and stabbing Starfleet officers to death. And she also mentions that she tried all kinds of food she didn't like, including red jelly and rutabagas. And so she ends up being sent on this mission uh, to go to lead these cadets in exercises. They think it's going to be good for her to go and, and, and do something to uh, continue to explore and break out of her comfort zone. So... We get a little scene with Adira and Grey, and then we find out that Adira is going to come along. So it's going to be Tilly and Adira and a bunch of, of the first new class in, in the century of Starfleet Academy. They're going to go on this training mission. Uh, we get to see Kovic, the, uh, the mysterious agent from the previous season. Who it struck me, and I get that this is David Cronenberg, and he can do whatever the heck he wants playing this mm-hmm. part. But why is Canada's he wearing own. the big horn-rimmed glasses? I don't know. Did Especially that not like strike you as odd? Nine hundred years in the future. Yeah, don't, exactly. Don't they make a point of saying, like, even in Kirk's time when he puts the glasses on, they're like, "Well, it's due to this very, very, very yeah. rare condition that they can't just fix his eye." Anyway, I, I just caught it this time. I was wearing them last time, and I didn't give it a second thought. And this time, I was like. I get that that's a signature Cronenberg look, but it seems strange anyways. But even Jordy had eyeballs implanted at some point in his career, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and that was 600 years in the past. Yeah. I mean, isn't well, that maybe just... maybe after the burn, they lost that technology. I don't know. Or or it's the uh, the Ontario optometrist strike has affected, you know, Star Trek. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe Sorry. Mr. Cronenberg himself can't wear can't wear uh, yeah. contact lenses, Sorry, and therefore I mean. he has to wear his glasses in order to be able to, to act. Yeah. Well, it's like Scorsese. He'd be blind without his... He, he wouldn't be Scorsese without the glasses. It's true. 
true. eyebrows. It's true. Sorry, Jaime, what were you going to say? I mean, it seems like it could just be future hipsterism, right? Like I, <laughs> I specifically elected to wear these. True. Oh true. my God. Millennials, millennials in the future. I just thought we had gotten rid of them. Um, new millennials. So anyway, the uh, the whole point of this is that the uh, Kovic points out that these cadets come from very different backgrounds, that they're not used to interacting, and they're having a really tough time bonding. It's a perfect group to put Tilly and Adira in. Absolutely perfect. So they are sent away on this mission. They're going to go do this planetary analysis and... Uh, they point out that, you know, they're going to go down to this planet until he's trying to get them all hyped up. Oh, oh, we're going down to this this cool moon. It's a desert moon, and we're going to do scans, and we might discover a new life form, and isn't this exciting? And uh, can, I, can I raise a concern before we get into the real concern of this show? Oh, yeah. No, go for it. So they have been in Starfleet for two months, and they're going to send them on an away mission. Yeah. Okay. Hey, in hey, the Boy Scouts, they sent us camping in the woods after two months. It's fine. Yeah, so, but you had a scout leader who'd been camping in the woods for many years before Yeah, that. but Tilly's a, a lieutenant now. Come on. Oh, that's true. On our way to, to the captain's chair. What could possibly go wrong? Anyway, let's, let's, let's find out. So, yeah, my first vibe on this was like, oh my God, she's trapped in a room full of... Uh, of I thought it was a simulation too, to be Gen honest Gen Z's, and it just made me want to pull my skin off. But anyways... Um, so she's in this uh, shuttle. They're flying there. She's trying to break the ice with these people. They're all being generally obnoxious and indifferent, which I can't relate to at all working uh, in that kind of environment. Um, <laughs> so we've got uh, an Orion named Haral. We've got a, I don't know, uh, we've got a human named Valsasha. We've got an, I don't know what named Gorev, who's got horns on his face. Do you guys recognize mm-hmm. that race? Not as such. No, I wasn't sure what he was. They've got a uh, pilot with them who's also a lieutenant, Lieutenant Cullum, whose name we find out Callum. at the end. Cal- Callum. Callum, yes, Callum. At the end of the episode, we find out his name. And, uh, and of course, Adira is with them as well. Uh, of course, they're flying along in, in fine Star Trek fashion. Ba-doom! They get hit with a rogue gamma ray burst, because that's a thing. And they <laughs> end up careening down. Oh, my God, hold on, we're going to crash. Brace for impact. Brace for impact. Grab onto something. <laughs> don't bother putting on a seatbelt that we don't have in the future. So, uh, as, as our fans will know, we have a, a slack. We talk on Slack, and uh, in the moment, I watched this with uh, with my son, uh, who of course is our number one fan, and and I just said, "Still no seatbelts, still no seatbelts." And then I was, I was like, a little bit later, uh, the first note comes across, and it's Tim saying, "Seriously, still no seatbelts." <laughs> And then I was like pulling out maps of seatbelt laws, and it really did become quite the conversation about the uh, the efficacy. And I, I really did like your theory, Jaime. I am going to share it with our audience of perhaps we're in an alternate alternate timeline where the seatbelt laws did not actually take effect, and people didn't realize the value of people not careening through windshields. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that butterfly effect kind of thing, right? Of like, yeah. What would have happened had it, you know, just been mm-hmm. off at well, the wrong time they, to they hit the, the Borg going back to the past, right? That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it somehow eliminated the use of seatbelts in history. So, of course, the ship crashes uh, on this nearby moon, and uh, the pilot, Lieutenant Callum, is 
uh, dead. He's died. And not only is he dead, but also they've crash-landed not where they intended to go, uh, to this desert moon that, sh- that uh, Tilly was describing, but to an L-class moon called Kokoitos, and they are not in a position to be found because this apparently system has like 26 moons and they are uh, in, in a bit of hot water. Um, and of course, you know, in typical uh, get a bunch of random uh, Starfleet Academy members who've come from different backgrounds together, they all start bickering. So Haral and Gorev start, you know, oh, it's all your fault and you did this and you want that and they all start fighting. Tilly says, listen, you know what? We need to get ourselves back on track. Let's introduce ourselves. She introduces herself she has Adira introduce themselves and also you know they all go around and share you know their background so we can get a little sense of of who they are and what they are and uh, she feels like that's a, a positive step in that in the right direction towards getting themselves the heck off this moon. We go back over to Navarre, and on Navarre, they're having a uh, very formal meeting between the Federation and the delegates from Navarre, trying to sort out the terms of joining the Federation. It seems when they're just about to sign the deal, Navarre pulls a little swaparoo on them and says, actually, we would like the uh, Toronto Blue Jays 2000 and eight AJ Burnett escape clause contract where mm-hmm. I'm willing to sign with your team, but I would like to be able to leave after a couple of seasons if I find something better comes along. And so the Navarre basically say, uh, yes, we'll join your federation, but we want the ability to just leave at a moment's notice with no uh, no warning. Just, just so we'll if, we, if we feel like it's join. not working out for us, we're yeah. just going to go. Yeah. And of course, Rillick, our, our previously introduced uh, president of the federation says, um, no, that's not going to work. So we end up with this impasse. So what's going to happen with this? Um, we we also found that she's a Bajoran Cardassian. Yeah, yeah. So I think we found that a little later when they're talking oh. about that. But um, okay. yes. So we cut back to Discovery, and Book is working with Culber in his role as the ship's counselor, trying to process his grief at losing his family and his planet. Book's still not doing very well. He, you know, uh, Burnham has told Culber he's not sleeping, and um, you know he's really having a tough time. Uh, Culber shares a very interesting story about a standing funeral where they they pose uh, members of the family in their positions that they want to be remembered in. Talks about his his tío, his uncle, uh, who uh, was a card player, and they were trying to pose him with these cards and kept breaking his fingers off, which is a pretty pretty funny little story. Mm. Um, and so we sort of see the the foundation of the two of them trying to help Book go through this this process of grief. We go back to the negotiations and, you know, the way that uh, the way that the Navarre President Tarina is talking to Saru and the way that President Rillick is talking to Burnham, both of them are using very careful words, choosing their words carefully in what is uh, clearly an effort to try and engage Saru and Burnham in some political theater and some uh, some some code speak to try and help them figure out and a way to work around this impasse. Um, we go back to the moon and the shuttle is uh, fried. They cannot get take off. They know that the the ship is basically a wreck. They can't do anything there. So they figured they're going to have to, uh, you know, go somewhere else. Uh, next thing you know, a scary monster shows up, which uh, Tilly describes as the jellyfish from hell, which is pretty funny. Um, 
we end up with uh, with having to, them having to turn off all the power because it's this this thing is drawn to the to the power signatures of all their stuff. And of course, when they do that, they realize they can't stay where they are because they'll freeze to death because they're on a on a cold planet or a cold moon. So they decide, yeah, we're going to have to try and make it to the top of the ridge uh, that they can see in the distance because that way they could signal the ship they came from and hopefully uh, get their way to safety. Back to uh, Book and Culber. Culber is trying to encourage Book to do a healing ritual that is uh, part of his culture. And, of course, he's doing it using programmable matter, not using, of course, natural uh, naturally occurring things that he would find on his planet. Book is very, very frustrated by this, feeling like he he can't actually do it properly because it needs to have these certain ingredients. And Culber keeps saying to him, like, you have to accept that those things will never be at your fingertips again. This is the, like, you have to change because you can't just keep living in that past. The past can't be re, uh, rediscovered. It's gone. You know, like your planet's gone. Is that a gone, COVID lesson by any chance? It is. Very. Okay. This whole, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to the end of this, but this whole episode has a lot, a lot, a lot of what, what, what we've all been going through this last little while. Mm-hmm. Um, again, accepting loss and change. Uh, we go back to Navarre. Saru and Tarina have a nice conversation where Tarina reveals that the uh, forces inside of her government, including the Vulcan isolationists, are very leery of uh, rejoining the Federation. And that's why they asked for this clause. And that's why she had to bring it up, because she had to keep them appeased in order to keep her uh, her station and keep her government functioning. And uh, she and Saru continue having this sort of, you know, kind of flirty thing that going on that they've had going on for a couple episodes. Clearly they're, they're kind of, they're kind of digging each other's vibe, which is interesting. And uh, then we go over to Rillick and Burnham, same thing. And you're talk, talking about like, you know, what can we do? How do we figure this out? Go back to the moon uh, on top of the jellyfish from hell. All of a sudden, there's these cracks coming from the sky of spider lightning. Uh, the, the, cr- the crew of cadets are quite uh, all over each other, being, you know, pretty snarky, racist, uh, you know, prejudging each other based on their appearances. And, and, um, and in that moment, some of the spider lightning hits the ground and Adira finds herself stuck in the ice. They use a programmable matter rope, which is a really cool trick to uh, work as a team and sort of tug of war her out of there and save her, which is kind of cool. And uh, they end up having a little sort of moment where they sort of have a breakthrough where, you know, they use teamwork to make the dream work, as the old expression goes. And uh, Gorev talks about, you know, how horrible his existence was and why he'll never trust Harold because of the uh, treatment that his family received at the hands of the, um, it's called Emerald Chain. Orion, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Harald actually reveals that, you know, he was not the, or I think it's actually Adira reveals. Adira. Yeah, Adira reveals his dad was. Yeah, that Harald's dad was actually, an uh, yeah, an activist and was a political prisoner, but he was the one who tried to sort of negotiate uh, the, um, the terms with the Federation to try and stop the kinds of behavior that the, the uh, Orion Syndicate was doing. Mm-hmm. And so, so we have but, a little break. I want to point out that they're like they're being they're being threatened by these giant spiders from hell. They're just attacking them. They're going to get here in a certain second, but they spend two or three minutes just standing in a <laughs> having a conversation, talking. working some stuff out. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. good. There's a moral in there somewhere. Yeah, that 
basically, you know, people like that are going to get killed by spider monsters while they discuss it? <laughs> yes, probably that. Um, we go back to Navarre. They have like their... Canadian. It's like Canada, you know. Let's have a committee. We'll have a committee. We'll, we'll have a committee. We'll, we'll evaluate it. it. And meanwhile... Yeah. We'll do a report. Yeah. Uh, so we go back to Navarre. They're having their negotiations. They reach a compromise. The compromise proposed by Burnham is that they set up an independent committee to review the membership of all groups, not just the Navarre, and that she volunteers herself as the sort of, of leader of this group because she is not only... And Captain Kirk is dead, so she's got to be her. <laughs> That's absolutely right. She's got to be the person because she's not only a uh, citizen of Navarre, having been raised there, of course, uh, by Sarek, um, but he also... 900 years ago. Yeah. He, well, yeah. And also because she is a member of the Federation as a Starfleet captain, so she sort of finds herself as the perfect person, and of course they all say that is an acceptable bargain, so hooray. Uh, it seems to solve things. Uh, back to the Ice Moon, Tilly uh, gets them all up to the top of the ridge that they were aiming for. They uh, want to beam out, but they know it's going to take at least 60 seconds for the the response, and that someone is going to have to distract the the uh, jellyfish monster, Zuh. There's two of them. Hmm. And so she volunteers to go down and do that while they get themselves beamed off. And, of course, uh, in, a, in a, you know, heroic play, they all work together to... Uh, save themselves and save Tilly, who's almost gets uh, smoked by this thing, but ends up getting beamed out at the last second. Um, huzzah. huzzah! We go back to the, uh, I think, are we supposed to be on the ship now? The ship that saves them? But, uh, or are they all the way, are they all the way back at uh, Federation headquarters? I they're think. back at, they're back at Federation, they're back at, um, at the Academy. Yes, okay. Which I thought was a loading dock, to be honest. That's you know, what I, I thought, saw. too. Like, it was kind of a yeah. weird setup. But anyways, they, they go back there and, um, and Kovic, uh, so says to them, you know, hey, uh, says to Tilly, you know, hey, that was some, some pretty good work. Looks like you really got through to them they're they're all pals uh you know we could use somebody like that here as a teacher at the starfleet academy until he sort of says hmm Mm. uh adira then comes over and uh and they say you know uh actually you know i i've had really tough time making friends in the past and i feel like i've actually done that too so she's excuse me they have their uh their moment of of revelation in this as well uh, back to Navarre. Navarre officially back in the Federation. Hooray. Uh, they explain what the fate of Javini, the uh, rogue warrior nun, will be that uh, working alongside uh, Burnham's mom, they are going to try and sort of rehabilitate her, um, which is kind of nice closure from last episode as to what sort of what would what would they do after she uh, stabbed to death a Starfleet uh, official and an, and a nun or no the nun got killed by mercenaries yeah that's well yeah i mean same same circumstance i suppose yeah. um nice moment between relic and burnham where uh relic sort of says you know i knew you'd be the right person for the job you did a really good job of sort of reading between the lines and, and working through your politics here and burnham sort of says you know thanks for you know having faith in me but next time maybe like talk to me first maybe maybe don't play games because we could probably get things solved a little faster 
uh, back to Book and Culber, they have a nice moment where Book actually does do this um, this sort of therapeutic exercise using the the programmable matter, and uh, and seems to have sort of gotten over a little bit closer to the healing that he needs to to have uh, after the, the the loss of all his family and, and his planet. Um, and then we go to Tilly and Burnham, who have this uh, lovely little conversation inside of Tilly's quarters, which, of course, was both of their quarters for, for the previous number of seasons, hmm. uh, and where they're talking about, you know, where Tilly's at and, and sort of sharing the adventure of what they just went through. And uh, and Tilly sort of says, you know, yeah, I've really been searching for something. I haven't been able to figure it out. I was, you know, I was terrified when I got my lieutenant pips and I realized that, you know, I'd lost my mom and that she was never going to be seeing me like this. And I started questioning why I'm doing this. And in the end, she says yeah i'm taking that job with starfleet academy and i'm i'm out of here so she hops on a ship and boof gone she's gone sylvia tilly is not and mira weisman well Well, we might might have mirror universe tilly back or well captain tilly if you'll notice i did put an article link right below our show notes here from Mm decider.com because i found myself thinking that's kind of an odd moment yeah. and I, of course they did a good job but it wasn't like it was out of the blue well, they there certainly wasn't a did a good pit, job right pardon me and there wasn't a tar pit and there wasn't a tar pit they didn't just just <laughs> right. send her flying and and kick her out. although i think i have to say the the denise crosby thing i think was a far more sort of acrimonious departure so they were like and mm-hmm. you're getting eaten by a tar pit yeah um this decider.com article uh has a confirmation they spoke to somebody at um Paramount, and apparently Mary Wiseman is not leaving the show yet. So we right. will see her again at some point this season. Whether mm. or not she's leaving after the season, I don't know. I know she's a guest on The Ready Room with Will Wheaton in this week's episode. I have not had a chance to watch it yet. So Yeah, I saw, that's what I that's why I realized the episode was going to be about her, because I saw a, a, trailer, a teaser for that. But yeah. So, I mean, maybe she'll go into a transporter and get cloned, and there'll be two of her. <laughs> well, this is very Doctor Who season four. Um, yeah. yeah, I very lower decks too. Yeah, true. I I don't know. Again, I, to me, I will say at least I felt like on this show they have done a good job of not just doing these sort of one and done emotional arcs, and it's kind of satisfying in that way. You know, neither mm. book's grief was sort of like done and over with, nor uh, you know Culber's feelings after coming back in previous seasons, nor you know For Stamets. Yeah, yeah, Stamets. Like they they do a good job of not just being like, oh, and I'm fine next week. Like, like they're doing a good job, and and so this is a natural extension of the storyline that they have been sort of carefully laying the track out all season four with Tilly. So it's not at all out of the blue where they're like, and now she's gone. Like we saw this arc building towards this, so there is some logic to it. It's not it's not just random, but it is still you know obviously bittersweet in the short term at least. We're we're not going to see any more of Mary Wiseman, who of course is a freaking delight, and um. And yeah, so uh, you know, obviously this article does mention that she's she's coming back at some point, but it's uh it's it's still strange to think of a discovery without Tilly. Mm-hmm. 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 But I'm glad that you had this year because I was kind of wondering. I was like, is she not coming back? I was like, what's the casting situation? But um, yeah, kind of interesting to see because her character is a little different. I mean, we've talked about some characters like, oh no, here's this character that's the background character. They suddenly get a lot of love. They're probably dying. Um, that wasn't, I don't think, going to be the case with her. If it's like, oh, she's getting a lot of attention. Maybe she's going to say goodbye for now kind of thing. Yeah. 
now, fight zombies or something. We right. talked earlier about the, you know, the, the this episode, this whole season is obviously there's a lot of uh, metaphorical reference to what the world has gone through this this past couple of years. Um, you know, the unknown, COVID, all this kind of stuff. After the burn, you mean? Yep. Um, this one, I, I, it, it occurred to me in the moment, but I thought it was, I'm going to give credit to Decider here. They have a reference to the great resignation, which Jaime referenced earlier, uh, talking about this episode, you know, the number of workers who, you know, are just sort of realizing when they finally had a moment to stop for the first time, they're realizing that their, their lives and careers were on paths that they weren't happy with. So we've seen this happen on relationships. We've seen this happen in workplaces. Uh, the number of people who have, you know, decided I don't, I don't want to be killing myself working this, this, you know, thankless job for the rest of my life. I'm going to finally take the moment to reflect that I've had during this, during this pandemic and, and do something different. That's the same journey that we see her on here, uh, that she's sort of taking that moment of, yeah, I, I was on this thing. I feel like I've always been on this treadmill going towards the captain's chair. And only now when things have finally calmed down a bit, do I find myself thinking, is this what I really want to do? And yeah, that, it's, it's just a beautiful, clear metaphor for where a lot of people are headspace wise right now of, hey, I have nothing but time now to reflect on my job, my relationships, my friendships, you know, my living circumstances, my political views, whatever it is, and, and start to question those things. And, you know, in, in our world right now, people are, you know, changing jobs like crazy because mm -hmm. a lot of people are very dissatisfied with the kind of lot that they found themselves with and are trying to make a change and and i guess that's you know that's the allegory they're going with with tilly ears it's smart smartly told and again good on decider for for calling that out very overtly alex zalbin the uh author of this piece so i'll give credit to alex all right because as a former writer i think people need credit yeah yeah attribution yep definitely what uh you guys have any sort of big moments from this one things that you enjoyed or didn't enjoy i, I did like the sort of uh the wiggle eyebrow wiggle stuff going on between uh tarina and saru as well mm. i mean there was a bit of yeah i mean the sort of the naughty you know head nodding and you know like they literally had them sitting on opposite sides of the room and and you know the the president would turn to you know some knowing person who would give them a nod yes or no kind of deal mm. Um, which doesn't sound, you know, so, so sounds too played, but, and, you know, yeah, and I, I don't know. It, it seems like, like they kind of wrap things up in the traditional Star Trek 40 minutes in, you know, and done kind of deal. And then, and yet you get these, you know, like it seemed like at the end of the the episode last week, that book was all done with his grief. And now he's, he's, he's decided he hasn't, he's not really done with it. You know, like he was in a better place at the end of it. Tilly was, yeah, Tilly, Tilly, we could sort of see was still had issues to resolve, which I guess is where this was going right um going to the federation how did how did um kovic end up being in charge of the academy like wasn't he <laughs> well he's clearly doing universe? section 31 academy he's already recruiting <laughs> yeah because he was in he was in the sort of weird guy group right when they first came right yeah they never really wasn't, he, wasn't he interviewing everybody when they when they first arrived yes yeah and he he seemed very section 31 he, again he had the black suit and yeah he was acting very weird although that's just david cronenberg is anybody yeah. who knows him yeah. but uh yeah. yeah i thought it was an interesting um 
interesting twist to have him suddenly be in charge of shaping young minds. Yeah. Kind of interesting why they would have David Cronenberg play that role, too. Well, I mean, if David Cronenberg wants to be on your show, you put David Cronenberg on your show. I guess. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But we've, we've, we've seen other famous people have, um, you know, stars have um, cameos and stuff, right? Yeah. Over the years. Yeah, of course. Usually in a helmet or something and, <laughs> or, you know, makeup and. Well, yeah, I think it's the Christian Slater in Star Trek Six is the all-timer of like, he gets one. Yeah. Yeah. line where he's like sir yeah. we need you on the bridge and he's in the dark yeah yeah, yeah. You, you just kind of hear his voice and see his silhouette right yeah. anyway exactly. i thought it was a good episode you know uh, like they kind of needed a, a little sort of mm-hmm. state of the state of the union kind of thing for these characters i mean was, the, the, mm-hmm. the 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 whole away mission was ridiculous well like, i mean it's it was very so dead. it was very star trek tropey mm. you know i mean they're technically so dead and you know like yeah even even getting up that ridge you know like like what makes them think they can get up the ridge where native creatures of the planet couldn't get up faster um opposable thumbs and good winter boots yes i will say i'd like to in, in retrospect i would like to give i did notice they were wearing hats though in the winter which i thought they were like, wearing that hoods. doesn't happen they were wearing yeah. hoods and i was gonna say the one thing i think i think we need to shout out here is the costume design team on discovery this season needs a freaking standing oh those costumes from from the the formal uniforms that they're wearing to all the costumes that the delegates are wearing to the winter you know the winter outfits that they're wearing on that moon the the costume design has been out of this world this year it's been so good Mm. like this is the sharpest dressed trek show ever they look (laughs) great they look great like Sonequa martin green looks like a queen in everything they've put her in this season yeah like even saru was rocking the rocking the formal uniform today and looking really slick yeah that's interesting no stretchy pants or sweatshirts though no, I guess that's where they missed the mark on the whole uh, pandemic thing. <laughs> <laughs> they are wearing pants, yeah. They're yeah. wearing proper pants. Yeah. All right, well, let's turn our attention to Hawkeye Season 1, Episode 4. So Shall we? We got, a, we got another... Uh, uh, last week's episode was the big car chase and was very sort of dynamic. So, of course, you got to take it back mm-hmm. down a notch. And in a six-episode season where we got the first two episodes at once... Of course, there has to be the downbeat where, you know, Mm -hmm. you you sort of set things back. So this is the set things back episode where, uh, you know, things kind of go go a little off. Um, You know, we left last episode with with Clint with a sword to his throat. Um, You know, he makes nicey nice with... with the parents. The, the parents and, you know, the, the, the swordsman and, uh, and you know, gets a talking to from Kate's mom saying basically like, don't drag my daughter into your world. And yeah. in spite of that, they end up, you know, having this, you know, lovely sort of drunken night with Pizza Dog where they, they hang out and they drink and, uh, you know, teach each other tricks and and, um, mm-hmm. and and really kind of bond. And then we end up with this uh, this mission to to go and steal back this mysterious watch, which we saw in the original uh, first episode. And we yeah. really hadn't had a clue as to what the watch is about. And so uh, maybe it was Ronan's watch. Well, yeah, we're, we we still we still have this MacGuffin of a watch. We don't know what what's up with the watch. We knew about the sword. We knew about the outfit, but we we found out in this one that the watch could reveal somebody's uh, identity, and therefore it can't be uh, hmm. can't be revealed. 
So they break into Maya's apartment to try and steal the watch, and uh, and then all hell breaks loose where we end up with a four-way fight going on between... Well, they don't know it's Maya's apartment at first. Well, they don't at first, although uh, when the lights start flashing, the cockeye figures it out, right? Because he's like, oh, it's an, yes. it's an alarm right. for people who uh, are hearing hear, impaired, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, we end up with this like this sort of raging fight uh, across the roof, across the building, and across the rooftops between Maya and Kate and Hawkeye and a masked uh, foe. And mm-hmm. spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. This is your last warning. Spoilers. Yeah, we the, all, I mean, I saw I saw that coming. You know, like oh yeah. I mean, it was. Yeah. I, I said to, I, I said to my my son, like I, I think we we had already talked about the fact that uh, Yelena was going to show up at some point. So of course, the person in the mask yeah. was Yelena Belova, who is of course. Uh, the little sister of Natasha Romanov, sister mm-hmm. in quotes. Um, in this circumstance, it was it was pretty telegraphed by the fact that they brought Natasha's name up like three times, and they showed her in a flashback before uh, right. before this person showed up. So they really did like lay the groundwork for yeah. Of course, you're going to see Yelena in this episode. So uh, the episode basically wraps with this big fight, and then um, Clint saying to Kate, you know, things have gotten really serious here we're in deep doo-doo if somebody's called in the black widow assassin he he calls her then things have really gone off the rails and you need to get the hell out of here you're you're no longer safe and and i'm done hanging out with you mm-hmm. so of course that's the sort of downbeat as we head towards the final two episodes we leave with the two of them um you know on the outs although we also uh we know that kate has the watch in her pocket so right it's all gonna have to come back around well, and so in this, the sit down with the parents, like we, like we find out that the, the father is, or the stepfather, future father is, is corrupt and is involved with the, the, yeah. the, yeah. the, the, um, tracksuit guys. Right. Yep. But so, but the, the company he's checking on, is that the name of the company's, the, the wife's company or she works for him? No. So the computer that Kate's mom has is part of Paladin security. That the place that she works. Okay. Right. And, um, but the Sloan Inc. Incorporated or whatever. Yeah, Sloan, Sloan Inc. is actually where Jack works, and he's actually the owner, and it's actually a front for okay. the tracksuits. So right. she right. doesn't necessarily know that Jack is uh, bad, although keep watching. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. So, again, another strong episode. I, You know, the, the chemistry is good between um, between the, the lead actors. You know, the performances are really good. Um, you know, Pizza Dog still steals every scene he's in. Um, yeah, I still like the show a lot. I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm really, I'm excited that it's coming, you know, coming along well. And I'm excited that there's only two more episodes left. And I'm excited that they're, they're still sort of building towards that, like right before Christmas final episode, you know, how's it going to end kind of stuff. But it's also interesting that, um, yeah, we're now starting to see these shows building off each other. So this is the first sign of interconnectivity between, um, between the shows too, because now we've got Yelena coming off of Black Widow tied in with the uh valentina um val don't call her val um the countess 
who has recruited her and recruited the U.S. agent. Now we see her attacking Hawkeye, which ties into the scene from the end of Black Widow, but also ties into Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So it's it's starting to come together a little bit. They're starting to see a little bit of the glue between these different we shows. We seem to have Jessica Jones' apartment in there, too. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, it's interesting to see how all these things are sort of layering together and, and building a bit more of a tapestry as we, we continue to and they, and they weave the, the universe. Whatever they call it, right? What's that? They did mention the blip today, or whatever they call it. The blip? Yes, the the snapping, the blip, the snapping. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, what uh, what got any impressions from this one? I uh, I enjoyed it because it, it has a little bit of a different pace, as you mentioned from the other episodes. You get a little bit of something different. Um, they, it is connective tissue. It sets up uh, uh, Pew back as the uh, the widow replacement, right? Um, I was racking my brain thinking, should I know this watch thing? <laughs> I was like, what, 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 am I forgetting something from the many, many series and movies? <laughs> but I don't think it has been explained precisely. Right, it's still kind of speculative. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's uh, it has not been revealed what the meaning of the watch is. I think it's interesting too. We, uh, I, I never got the impression through the movies that we've seen so far that Clint's wife was really connected to his world until these last couple episodes when they're having conversations on the phone and she's like, well, you know, Ronan, the watch, like she seems to clearly know his world. And I, I guess we're supposed to assume that they, you know, he's an open book with his wife and shares all his secrets and everything else. But it's interesting because I always assumed that his sort of work life, if you will, and his home life were a little more separate. I have not as much of an idea from the sources that we've seen before as to whether that was something that was uh, regularly there for the character or if that's something that happened after his family came back. Yeah, and maybe that's the circumstance we're supposed to, you know, get that maybe he's turned over a new leaf since they came back of just being more with more present and more engaged with his family or, or, or whatever that is. Mm. But right. mm -hmm. yeah, but interesting, interesting. Yeah, I wonder where the people went when they went to the blip. We never have talked about about that have we yeah it's funny because peter parker references it when he comes back in endgame he says he basically says you know we were fighting on that planet and then i must have hit my head because i woke mm -hmm. up and you know these guys were like, oh, my God, we got to go. There's a big fight going on. So he basically makes it sound like he doesn't remember the experience of dying or being dead, just yeah, basically being remember, alive yeah. and then waking up again. Yeah. But you're right. Like, they really haven't addressed it in a fulsome way. Well, they sort of did in, in um, uh, WandaVision because people came back that weren't around. Because doesn't, doesn't the the uh, the other lady that's in that show, wasn't she one of the people that disappeared and came back? The other, you know, the main character. The oh, FBI Monica. Yeah. 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 But again, I can't remember if they talk about her experience so much or if it's just she was gone and now she's back. I can't recall that there's much dialogue about her experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't really die. Like, it's not like they, they went through a death thing and then they've been resurrected. It's like they, they just incorporate. I don't know, man. Un if I can turn you to ash and you come back, I think you've died and come back. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. But I mean, like, like, where does your brain go? Where does your, you know, like, where, check inside where is the, the check know? inside the dust mop. Like, uh, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, little flakes of brain everywhere. Yeah. All right. Should we move to the watch list? Watch list. Watch list. All right, I'm up first. Um, very interesting. I just discovered this is from a year ago. Um, um, uh, 
Vanity Fair, they they did a couple of um, these videos where they they talked to a few people, and in one case they talked to Chris Hadfield. I've seen a couple of things with him recently, but uh, this one, the one that caught my attention, was Chris Hadfield refu- reviews space movies. <laughs> And uh, so he does a quick review of Gravity and Passengers, Armageddon, Martian, Interstellar, First Man, Hidden Figures, Ad Astra, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, WALL-E, and Shun- Sunshine. And um, so it, it's interesting because he talks about, you know, the... the the reality, like we've talked about gravity before. I think we, maybe you and I have talked about gravity, but gravity is a really interesting movie, like from the point of view of like, they kind of put all of the sort of space technologies that are, that are currently in use out there. But he's like, oh my God, they would never, a, a, a spacewalk would never be like this. Like, and they wouldn't be panicking and they wouldn't be uh, yelling stuff into the microphone and stuff. Cause they, they practice error scenarios all day long and then some, right? So and you know the George Clooney character whipping around the the uh, the the space station that wouldn't happen. You just don't go out for a joyride, no matter who you are, right? Sort of thing, right? So he had his really long review of, of that that one, and just yeah, just totally not what space travel is like. And I, and I've I've read his book, and he talks about you know being in the Soyuz ca- uh, capsule, and when you pull away from the space station, you go at like sub 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 light speed, like you you like you just barely move away from the thing because you don't want you know any kind of wake or whatever to to damage the the fragile nature of the space station and yet you know like in there's a whole lot of unbelievable things happening in gravity he said right um agreed passengers yeah passengers i mean i still love it it's a great movie i love i love watching the movie but yeah it's totally unplausible um the, but the sets are amazing but the uh passengers he says the one thing they got right was was when she's in the swimming pool that you know the the when they lose gravity the whole the whole thing turns into a big giant bubble and and jennifer lawrence is stuck inside trying to swim to the edge and he's like but how would you know which way is up when you're in a you know water bubble mm-hmm. and but the other thing he said like you know the, the way they simulate gravity is they spin the ship right and he says there's no way that that ship would have just stopped spinning yeah <laughs> You know, Newtonian physics is once you start something in motion, it just keeps going until something affects it to make it stop, right? So it would, like, there's no way you could have put brakes on that ship. To, to, so that was one unplausible thing. Armageddon, he says, he says, I hadn't thought about Armageddon since I walked out of the theater when I first saw it. It's a complete joke. Like, I'm just not even going to qualify it with anything. The Martian, he said, was interesting and in, uh, the way that, that Watney builds, the, you know, grows the potatoes and stuff like that. But he did have a few issues with with uh, that one as well. Um, Interstellar, he thought was interesting, but he, he's, he found the whole um, fourth dimension part in the middle of the thing where where um, Matt, uh, Matt McConaughey does the sort of time travel stuff that he finds completely unbelievable. Yeah. Um, first Man, like in the very beginning of The First Man, you know, um, Neil Armstrong's in this this uh, supersonic rocket sh- uh, plane, jet plane, and he's flying and it's like shaking like crazy crazy and like you know it's all kinds of like you know turbulence and everything he's like no he says first of all when you're in when you're traveling at that high in the atmosphere and you're traveling at that speed there is no vibration you know there is no shaking of the ship it's just like it's just you're just like a a bullet right mm. And he says, you know, as as they're moving up in the atmosphere, he's moving he's moving higher into the atmosphere. And as he's moving into the atmosphere, the nose cone starts to glow red. Well, the nose glow would only glow red if there was air molecules banging up against the 
the nose. And he says, as you move up, there's like practically no 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 air, yeah. right? Yep. So they that you found that completely un- unbelievable. Uh, Hidden Figures, he says, was one of the best movies he's seen because it totally, you know, was was bang on about the way that these women did the the com- human computers did the figuring out and all that kind of stuff, and he, he really enjoyed that that one. Uh, I forget what he said about Adra, Ad Astra, but we'll just we'll just keep moving. He said, "This is dull. <laughs> I don't want to watch anymore." Yeah, no, he, he went on for quite a bit about that one. I wasn't really paying attention to be honest with you, but 2001, he really liked that one. Um, can't remember what he didn't. Oh, the the gravity stuff he thought was kind of kind of interesting with the Velcro shoes. He says, he's, in reality, everything on the ship is covered in Velcro, like mm. the space station. You know, so like yeah, that that pen floating around is kind of unrealistic. But uh, and the last one, Wally, he, uh, Wally was good, but I can't remember what he said about that one. But yeah, it was just just I mean, but it was like the comments about Gravity, which people think is a great movie, and you know Armageddon. I don't know who thinks Armageddon is a great movie. Uh, you know, to you be know. fair, as a movie. It's perfectly fine. Oh. It's it, as what it's supposed yeah. to be, which is just this like rollicking adventure with a bunch of goofballs cowboys, flying through space, yeah. cowboys in space. It's perfectly yeah. fine. It's yeah. just nonsensically and uh, unscientific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you can put that yeah. in your pocket for a while, there's nothing wrong with the movie. Yeah. Well, well yeah. There's only there's only one thing worth watching in that movie, and it's not in space. But anyway, um, <laughs> is it a young Liv Tyler? Because <laughs> that would be my vote. That's what I was going for. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that's pretty much it. So and it's funny because because uh, uh, I was watching um, the uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler um, introduction to the Gemini, or was it the Golden Globes that they did. Uh, they did three years in a row, and I can't remember which one it was, but one of them they talk about gravity, and they said, like, George, um, gravity is a movie about George, Cl- uh, which proves that George Cl- George Clooney would do anything he could possibly to not be on the screen with this, a woman the same age as him. There you go. Harsh. Yeah. Harsh, but fair. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Anyway, moving on to Jaime. Yeah, this isn't so much a watch list item as it is a um, holiday, you know, stocking stuffer time item. What? So, Build a Bear, if you're familiar with that um, uh, franchise of, of uh, shops, toy shops, has a tie-in with the new Matrix movie, and they have their Matrix Bear, which looks actually kind of cool. It's uh, <laughs> it's not cheap, so if you if you want to go all in on this cool looking bear, it's fifty one dollars. Uh, you get the bear by itself for twenty nine. Um, I I suppose you get the clothes just by themselves for some reason for 22 if you add that together it's 51 but it, it looks pretty you already have cool. the bear who knows right yeah i mean i guess you could just put your clothes but the the matrix uh, green screen code that's imprinted on this bear actually makes it look pretty cool hmm. mm-hmm. interesting 51 dollars us for a teddy bear i honestly have never gone to build a bear so i don't know if that's unreasonable for their pricing yeah i have no sense of it yeah neither neither do i you know, I think your granddaughter would love to go to Build-A-Bear. Yeah. <laughs> How about your ne- your niece? <laughs> I don't know about her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My uh, my watch list item is, is uh, back to our conversation about Paramount+. Plus. So... I had been seeing all this promotion around, and we talked in a, in a previous episode about the South Park mini-movies that are going up on Paramount+. Plus. So they'd already yep. done one that uh, there's lots of memes going around. It's it's sort of set in a future. The South Park characters are older. And uh, it was the first of a two-part kind of deal. And so they announced this week that the second part, which is called South Park Post-COVID Part 2, is coming on December 16th to Paramount+. Plus. 
Here in Canada for the past number of years, new episodes of South Park have been airing on a channel called Much. Much is Canada's equivalent, more or less, to MTV. Mm -hmm. And they do have some exclusive shows, uh, often content from, uh, from other places, syndicated stuff from the United States. So I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder how this is going to play out because they keep hyping this as a, a Paramount Plus exclusive piece of content. So I have been checking back in to see if perhaps this was going to pop up on much as all previous South Park content has, and it has not. So I thought that's unfortunate. And so I thought oh, I had seen a promotion on the iTunes store here in Canada saying, you know, sign up for Paramount Plus. And so I thought, oh, okay, is it available here in Canada? Sure enough, it is available here in Canada. It's five ninety nine a month. You do get a free trial, so you can try it out. But if you want to watch these South Park things here in Canada, it seems like you have uh, one legal choice to do so, which is to say you need to get the Paramount Plus app if you want to watch these exclusive Paramount Plus South Park pieces of content. Which is not great because, as we've talked about in the past, now we're back into Pokemon country of Gotta Catch Em All. You need to get yet another service if you are a fan of this very long-standing, previously uh, free-with-your-cable subscription content, now is exclusive content on a different channel. And... Uh, it really does bring me back to what I think we talked about in a previous episode, which is, I wonder what this means for the future of Star Trek here in Canada. If we are going to get to a point where we may see subsequent seasons of things or subsequent pieces of content migrating. I, I got to admit, the journalist in me, uh, who I thought had long been put to sleep, was rumbling this week as I was thinking, should I send an email to somebody at CTV Sci-Fi on behalf of the podcast and ask the terms of their contract? Like, it, do they have, like, in perpetuity, first right of first refusal on all Star Trek content with, you know, working with previous existing contracts with Paramount or... I, I'm really curious. I'm curious to know if we're going to find ourselves in the same boat that so many people uh, around the world is, which is to say, if you want to watch this, you need Paramount Plus. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I think. Well, I mean, my experience is, if you wait long enough, it'll eventually come on something you can watch it on. If you, if unless you're that that desperate to watch it, right? Yeah, it depends on what it is, though. And again, it depends on the avenue. You know, more and more, these things are going to be contained on these platforms because that's the only motivation that they have for getting people yeah. there, right? Yeah. You know, think, yep. think about, you know, Jaime, you've talked about this before. The, the lure for you often in whether or not you're going to subscribe to something is not, hey, there's a new thing. It's, hey, there's a new thing. And there's also a month or two months worth of other content that I want to also digest. And therefore, I'll put my money down because I I can devour it all during the window of the thing I want to see and then close it out again. Yeah, precisely. That's why I had waited for um, Hulu for such a long time. I said, okay, well, I'll, you know, we've been collecting stuff to, to watch like the, you know, most recent seasons of, um, of the Handmaid's Tale. And I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll subscribe for the Orville come March. And then I got this good deal on Black Friday. So now I'm just watching stuff like Pen15 and uh, One Punch Man season two, which I hadn't realized was a hulu exclusive so um it, it's kind of the you know you, you pick what you want if you if you want to be right there you know as everybody else is is tweeting their memes uh you got to pony up um and and pay the most expensive price of month by month as 
you know, these series tend to be at least, you know, two-ish months worth of subscription price. Or you can just go the cheap route and wait until, you know, there's a, a threshold, whatever your personal threshold is. Like, okay, this month, you know, probably something like December when a lot of people take holidays. I'm just going to binge the heck out of everything 24 hours a day, just catching up on all these series for the one, you know, $5.99 or $8.99 or whatever it is. Yeah. I- I don't know. Again, we, we, this is a topic well worn by, by us over the last hundred plus episodes, but where's the tipping point? You know, even as it is now, I find it hard to keep track of the, the number of services that are sort of at my yeah. fingertips between my, my cable subscription, which I keep primarily because I'm a, I'm a fan of sports and I do like to watch some live sports, but between Netflix, Crave, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus... There's a lot of content. And of course, YouTube, which is just like a, just the, you know, fire hose of content. There's so many different places that you can pull in content. Now we're kind of in a lucky ish circumstance up here, which is the rarity, but, uh, you know, Hulu gets fed through Disney plus for us here through star. So we kind of get a little bit of a cheat code on that one. And we do through crave, we get HBO content, primarily although we found out like aquaman's the exception to that one for some reason that's on a different service but all things being equal we have access to most of the content in different forms but then you add paramount plus onto that and you know some of these other you know peacock i don't know if that's available here yet but we're seeing even more fragmentation even more fragmentation what's the breaking point like what's what's the point at which you're at which you're just like how bad do i want to see x like, I can't see myself giving up on Trek. So if right now, if next month we got an announcement, you know what, CTP Sci-Fi is, you know, giving back the rights, it's all going on Paramount+, Plus. I guess I'm in for $6 a month. Really? I think so. I mean, when they're, when they're churning out, essentially, like, now they're doing five different Star Trek series over the course of a year and they're covering you know i I might i might obviously let it lapse if if there was nothing on for a duration but you know jaime i think you've said that they're doing a pretty good job of keeping other good content on there as well yeah it it certainly helps to have year-round trek um and then fill in with other things for you know non-trek fans and this is also why at a broader level everybody wants to create their own game of thrones equivalent right Everybody wants the the must-have series and and, uh, fantasy-based series seem to be the one that people have chosen to see. You know, uh, HBO is going back into that well with its Game of Thrones prequels. Um, Amazon's got its Wheel of Time that it's trying to do. Uh, Could have sworn there's something else that I'm forgetting that was a... Who who was this? Um, Apple has something that I think we had identified in this show as being a a Game of Thrones equivalent. I can't remember Mm -hmm. what it was. Yeah, I I remember I was talking about it. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, because we've got Wheel of Time. We've got Game of Thrones. There's the uh, Amazon Prime is also doing the um, yeah Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and then HBO Max is doing the Dune spinoff stuff theoretically. So yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of stuff that people are trying to sort of build these must see must have pieces around, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I think that's why it's pretty interesting to be someone like Disney, where you're just sitting on this you know smog like gold mine of of content, and and they've gotten pretty good about getting more Star Wars stuff out, getting more Marvel stuff out, but they've got a ton of that stuff already. And then it's like, oh, do you got kids? Great, we got everything that you ever watched as a kid, and that they ever will watch as a kid yeah and on top of that the ip that they still haven't even really tapped into as far as new content aliens predator 
Indiana Jones. Like, there's so many big tentpole things that they're going to have at their fingertips to churn out on top of the Star Wars and the Marvel and the Pixar and the Disney properties. And, and, and like, they are just the most set. Whereas Netflix and, and some of the other shows, or other services rather, are going to have to do a better job of creating unique IP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas as Disney's taking the opposite approach of spending, I mean, to, to acquire all those companies including the Fox acquisition which brought them a ton more you know the Simpsons and you know Family Guy and all that other stuff you know that really, what was the final cost on that like 60 billion dollars now they're going to make it back out of our pockets but they are just going to have this as we talked about it speaking of a fire hose i mean this is you know this is bigger than that worth of content that they can just spray at you like it i, I think we talked about it before but the Disney Plus subscription now is the absolute must for a genre fan now. Like, you just cannot ha- not have it. Between all the different IP, the Star Wars shows, the Marvel shows, all the other content that they have on there and that they're developing, like, it, I can't imagine not having it anymore. And I can't imagine a future where I wouldn't have it. They've kept it cheap, too. Looks like it's seven ninety nine a month or $79 per year if you pre-purchase the entire year. Yeah, they, they raised it here. I think I had locked in at something for the first two years that I had it that was pretty darn cheap. But I think for the third season, they did raise the rates. Um, it, still, it's a pretty reason. It's cheaper than Netflix by a margin. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as an aside, one thing I had discovered because I went on business travel last week and granted, this isn't all a completely fair comparison because we've got different tiers of stuff, but I tried to fill up my phone with as much content as I could to watch on, uh, on the airplane rides and, uh, Netflix, I don't pay for the lowest tier. So I, you know, I don't know at what tier you can download episodes, but Netflix worked pretty well for me. Disney Plus, you can download. That's how I watched Hawkeye um, because, you know, they drop it at like midnight. I don't know if it's Pacific or Eastern or or what time zone. Um, HBO Max, I guess, since I'm paying for the Max, you know, I'm dubbed worthy of being able to download episodes. Uh, Prime Video lets you download episodes. Um, I don't think Paramount Plus does at the tier that I'm paying for, the cheapo tier. tier. So if you go on a lot of plane rides, I guess get the ad free. And Hulu also does not let me download episodes at the cheap tier. I would have to pay for the ad-free tier so that's something i hadn't really considered during the pandemic as a as a differentiator for which tier am i going to use but as things start to open up might be something to think about mm-hmm. yeah it's uh i don't know i'm i'm not quite at the breaking point yet but as you guys said earlier in this episode the, the content it just keeps coming and now you're finding yourself with just not enough time in the day you, you do wonder if it is a better strategy to just sort of you know, alternate years on some of these things, you know? Okay, mm-hmm. 2022 is going to be a Netflix year. 2023 is going to be a Disney yeah. Plus year. It's not quite that not quite that much stuff, but yeah. Yeah, but it's it honestly, the, when you see the volume of IP that's coming, it, it does feel like that sometimes where you're just like, damn, how am I going to work this in and still have any other life other than just watching appointment television? Yeah. And on that note... Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, I guess that's it for another week. So I guess if people want to get in touch with you, Jonathan, where would they find you? Uh, you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. All right, and how many people want to get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And uh, once again, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll say goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.
You've been listening to the SpotCast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, SpotCast.com slash SponsorUs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Jaime, did you listen to the whole episode of last week? <laughs> I went to the very end because I knew <laughs> that you guys would either loop me in, which is why I recorded it the way I did, or yeah. you would troll people, including me, and, and put in the segment. And I'm like, all right, Tim, this is so you can loop it in. Bye. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that li- I literally, I didn't, that, that was the only part of it. Like, I, sometimes I cut, like, dead air out, but, because actually when I was going to process the, uh, the, the software kept saying to me, you know, you got like a minute of dead air here right? <laughs> it's like a secret hidden track at the end of the CD, right <laughs> yeah i had this package delivery come and then by the time i got back and you know calmed down the dog and everything i was like what these guys are already done it's like zoom is already processing the meeting what's going on Uh-oh. yeah did you uh did you um jonathan did you hear it as well or no i haven't had a chance to listen to it yet this week i oh, we okay. were busy uh, scrambling we getting, the, for him, Jaime. <laughs> getting the other podcast i work on uh, out the door this week New episode came yeah. live today. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that was a normal-ish delivery, as I mentioned to you all. Like, um, I, I think these services just, you know, they push people so hard that I think oh, even yeah. if it goes beyond normal hours, you're going to do it. And I have had some claim to be delivered and actually get delivered stupidly early in the morning, which I speculate is before they start the normal shift. But then mm-hmm. I realized that uh, that wasn't the case here. This is a normal delivery. But um, actually here, Amazon Prime now has windows all the way to 10 p.m. to midnight. Night. Hmm. Uh, that was not the case here, but uh, actually could have had one all the way to midnight for a delivery if you wanted. You know, if you wanted stuff now, they sure will bring it to you now. Yeah, well, it's been like that. Like we, I've been finding that with even with work stuff. Uh, you know, we use couriers and and uh, they like you know, use day couriers and and they don't show up at you know before five. They show up at like seven thirty at night, sort of thing. You know, weird. Hmm. Yeah, I I find because I I'm working here all the time. I find that uh, I'm I'm doing mostly okay. I think the latest I've seen one is like eight o'clock. It's not too bad, but uh, mm. yeah, it's definitely a thing. Well, it's going to get worse over the next couple of weeks too. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, they'll be run pretty ragged. Those those folks. Yeah, Just leave some candy canes by the door or something for them. Yeah, come for the COVID. Yeah, that's right. I'll leave a thing of hand sanitizer and some uh, some candy canes yeah 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 that's the worst part when i have to answer the door and like that's the only pretty much the only thing that comes to the door these days is shipping people right yep. when they come to pick stuff up and you don't have time to put your mask on like just kind of like stretch your arm out as far as it'll go yeah <laughs>
Mm, I've I've taken to having a clean mask just hanging there on the door. Yeah, oh, we handle. have ours by the door too, but it's just a matter of like you open the door because sometimes they just want to hand you something and run, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or actually, have I've because we have a door cam, right? Um, I see people like just walk up and throw throw the package on the on the dock, not even step up onto the deck, right? So yeah, I found myself in the uh, the the unfortunate position this week where I was here by myself because of the yeah. um, everybody else was at work or school, and the doorbell rang and yeah. at twelve o'clock in the afternoon. I went downstairs and saw a parcel delivery. And it was uh, my Christmas present from my wife uh, oh, nice. in a completely obvious what it is in the box. box. Oh, yeah. And the guy says, yeah. hey, can you sign for this? And I was like, oh, I'll sign for this. And I was like, I can't, yeah. can't, not, uh, can't unsee this now. So that's kind of a drag. But um, yeah. yeah. But I'm still going to act surprised on Christmas morning. Yeah, I do the same thing. I bought a few things. I just hand them to Carol and say, this is for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll enjoy it. Yeah. See it, la- see it later. Yeah. You know? yeah. Actually, Xavier did that to me. We went out. Uh, he and I just had sort of a, a you know, Father-Son day out uh, maybe maybe a month ago. And we were, you know, puttering around doing some, some errands. I actually came upon some old uh, vinyl that I wanted to go pick up. And so we went and puttered around. We went to a couple old vintage video game spots. And he found a couple old games that he wanted. And uh, he said, here, this is on my Christmas list now. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. okay, uh-huh. glad we got that sorted. Yeah. Well, it's hard to make a list when you don't get to go out and see stuff, you know? Yeah. I, both, both my sons are really struggling this year. I know uh, I, I saw your, your partner there earlier today and she was like, ideas? I'm like, I, believe me, it's not for a lack of asking that the two of them are really just... Gift cards. Yeah. They just don't, like... Xavier still has gift cards from last Christmas. He's, he said he's got like $150 worth of Amazon cards just sitting on his desk. He's like, I don't, I don't know what to use them for. Like, I don't really need much right now. I said, well, Roomba they, parts, they yeah. don't go bad, so just sit on them and like you will eventually because eventually mom and dad are gonna stop paying for stuff they used to they used to actually yeah that's true <laughs> they used to um expire them gift cards right yeah i i don't know if uh you have to like register them by a certain point or whatever but yeah i don't know like a certain certain um, you know canadian air travel points thing i just discovered the other day that i have zero points after like years and years of collecting and apparently they expired them in 2020 and again another like who like where do they think we're going in 2020 that we'll be using our cards well, and like our travel rewards points right yeah i do i do belong also to a, a i believe a different uh, travel rewards thing and i actually went on to their their um portal not that long ago cuz i was thinking mm-hmm. the same thing like i have i've been amassing these points for eons and i do travel a fair bit for work and thought oh i wonder how where i'm sort of at and i looked at it and i was thinking well should i just keep sitting on these points on the hope that eventually I'm going to take a vacation somewhere sometime down the road somewhere, or should I use them for something for which I have an immediate use? So I cashed in some of my points and I ended up with a thousand dollars worth of Amazon gift cards, which I just credited to my account because I collect very expensive books and thought I'm just over this course of time. It's just going to, it's going to pay for my book collecting. Right. Does it, does it begin with an A and end with Aeroplan? Uh, it does actually. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I got. I just logged on the other day, and I have like no points. I don't. I don't understand what happened to the points. Yeah, I know Sherry had some problems with that too. I don't know what the circumstances were, but she has to reconnect her account. I. I, I don't recall what she said the issue was, but 
I uh, yeah, again, I got jerks. I had That's amassed a, a substantial mm-hmm. amount of points over the last decade plus, so I was making yeah. damn sure they're not going anywhere. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my mother had points too. Yeah. All right, you folks. Got I need to lock in her password. Interesting. I need to hop off here. Okay. All I'll right. See you guys next time. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.